So we've been looking at Philippians, and we're in chapter 3. We read this yesterday, and we're just going to finish off uh, a couple things on this chapter today. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. Here's what it says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the right uh, resurrection from the dead. Good morning, Marcella. So here's what we kind of have shared some of this, but again, like Paul, I'm going to repeat a few things from yesterday, um, but we're going to look at a little bit more. And so Paul began with this positivity. Remember, first he starts out by saying finally, and that wasn't just a pastoral thing where he said, finally, and he's really not done yet, or in conclusion, and he's not concluding. It was kind of this possibility that this might have been three different books of uh, that were written, three different letters that were written to the church in Philippi that were combined. And, and remember, here's the thing, because some might go, oh, well, then you're going against the inerrancy. No, I'm not. I, I, I'm saying that maybe these were three letters combined. We don't know for sure, and it doesn't change it. It doesn't change the message by saying whether this was two or three. There have been times where, so you do realize the book of Hebrews was one of the last ones added to the canon, and it's because they weren't sure that Paul really wrote it. They, they weren't sure who to attest it to. So if you look at the beginning of Hebrews, um, you know, it, it, it begins differently than any of the others. Paul always signed his letters at the beginning, which was traditional. There's no signature at the beginning. We don't know for sure who wrote it. It's a little bit different in writing than Paul. And so we attribute it to Paul, but we're not sure, but that doesn't change the message that's in the book of Hebrews. Same thing with the Philippians book. If it was three letters or just one, it's okay. It doesn't matter. But he begins with this positivity. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. In fact, that word rejoice could have meant farewell in the Lord as well, but we've translated it rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in Christ, and, and count our blessings, uh, the, the, and counting our blessings helps us to rejoice. You know, whenever we get into a negative time, when we get into a, a um, just when we're feeling attacked even by Satan, it's so easy 
to get caught up in negativity and Paul's reminding us rejoice. He's reminding us so often throughout this book to rejoice and he's in a moment where rejoicing was tough, right? He's he's in some of his final imprisonments. He knew that he may never see the Philippians again. And yet he's calling them to rejoice and you do that, you rejoice by counting your blessings. Counting your blessings, it helps you to be less inclined to be tempted by evil, to be tempted to be full of gossip and slander, to be tempted to be full, so full of negativity that people don't even want to be around you or don't even want to listen to you. Count your blessings. Remember, right, the, the old song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. You know, count your blessings. Helps us remember the things that God has, times that God has shown up and shown off in our lives. And negatively, he then reminds them to watch out, to watch out for those that he called dogs or the evil workers and those that mutilate the flesh, the, the ones that put so much ownership in the outward expression of holiness, the outward expression of law, because it's important, but it comes first from a heart nature. You know, it comes first from, it comes first from this realization of what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 8. So let me go to that for a second. I, I wasn't planning on this, but it's so prevalent. It's in so many different things. 1 Corinthians 8. Let me turn to it. Sorry, it takes a second. In 1 Corinthians 8, he's talking about food sacrifice to idols. It's a really weird kind of chapter. And he's talking about how, hey, this food sacrifice to idols, and I'm okay to eat it. Because I'm not worshiping their God by eating it. I have no issue with that. In my freedom in Christ, I can do it. But then he says this. Do, 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 do. Here we go. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols, and so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. You see, Paul is saying, if there's something that I do in my freedom that causes somebody to stumble, if I'm not so caught up in an outward appearance of holiness because of my matters of the heart and I do something that maybe they have an issue with, like watching an R-rated movie that's on the checklist, right? And, and it causes them to stumble, then I'll never do it again. I will never do that again because I care more for their heart. I care more for their walk with Christ than I do about my own freedom. And the Judaizers were so caught up in the outward expression of circumcision and following all the feasts and festivals. And Paul's saying, we're above that. Don't get distracted by that. Careful of making holiness about nothing more than just a checklist. But it's a matter of the heart. And because the matter of the heart is higher, the matter of the heart puts a higher standard that, you know, Whatever it is that you say, well, the church says I can't do this, but I can. I mean, for years, my parents were one of the first ones to have wedding rings in their church, and the pastor wouldn't even do the ceremony, but he would allow them to put them on each other. He wouldn't speak it because that was a, you know, that was jewelry, and you didn't do jewelry, right? 
Um, you know, you maybe grew up in churches where you couldn't play with face cards. Wow, and now we play games all the time with face cards. Good morning, Robert. You know, maybe you, you grew up in a place where you didn't play dice. I, I remember moving to a church and mom and dad brought over all the young adults and we pulled out all the games and there were games with dice and there were games with cards and they're like, oh, the new pastor. Oh, you know, because that didn't mean anything. But if it causes someone to stumble, then I'll never do it again. You know, we had friends that were um, Mormon and, and they don't drink any caffeine. And so I was very careful. I didn't drink Pepsi around them. Not because I cared about their religious stance in that per se, but I cared about them. And my love for them compelled me to go beyond. You know, you do more than you have to, right? And that's our love for each other. And that's our love for the world that we say, you know what? Holiness isn't a checklist. It's actually a draw to want to do more. It's one to go beyond of myself and beyond all these things to where if if drinking coffee throughout the day causes somebody to stumble, I'm not going to make a big deal about drinking coffee. You know, it's those things that I put my own desires. Maybe I could put it into a modern sense. I've had so many conversations with people on both ends of the spectrum right now. And our governor today here in Ohio could call out and say, you know what, everybody's going to wear a mask every time they go out. And I've already heard people go, I'm not going to do that. There's no way I'm going to do that. But you know what? If as a church, it gives the appearance that we are putting the needs and concerns of others above ourselves, then by all means, by all means, let's wear a mask and we're in church. I, I mean, if that's the appearance, if that's the attitude, we want to do it because I care more, not about my freedom to not wear a mask, but I, I wear one every Sunday because I don't want somebody to falter because, I don't preach in it, but I do when I'm greeting people. I don't want somebody to falter because I'm not wearing a mask. We put the love of others over and beyond. And Paul in his testimony is going, I I've got legal righteousness. I've got legal righteousness, but it's inadequate. Everything I do is inadequate. The law was inadequate. He goes on to his ancestry. His ancestry, it's good, but it's inadequate. He goes on to his religious affiliation, which we sometimes get caught up in, don't we? That we're either Nazarene or holiness or Baptist, or we get caught up in that instead of saying, I'm a Christ follower who seeks to put scripture first and foremost, who believes in the creeds and believes in God and the Trinity. And those are the things that matter first and foremost, the kingdom being advanced. If I lock arms with a, a Baptist to do a walk of the cross like we do here in Jefferson, then let's, by all means, if I lock arms with a Lutheran, then by all means, if I lock arms with the United Methodist, by all means, because the gospel is being pushed, right? All right. Um, he then says his zeal. So his religious affiliation, it's excellent, but it's inadequate. His zeal was outstanding. His zeal went above and beyond the call of duty as a good Jew, that he was persecuting anyone who was a part of the way who seemed to be going against the Jewish regulations and the laws, and he would persecute them. He was, he was probably a tassel counter. Do you know that what that means? So there were laws about a good Jew, about how many tassels you would have on your cloak. And, and you know, it was um, the 15 buttons of flair, if anybody gets that reference, you know, and, and they, you wanted to go above and beyond the tassel 
and had the longer tassels and the nicer tassels. And, and he was probably a tassel counter to make sure that you were doing what you were expected to do. His zeal was outstanding, but his zeal was inadequate. It was Christ's righteousness alone that is adequate, he's saying. All else is refuse. Remember that word, we, we preached it a couple times. It's scubula. Scubula in Greek was human feces. Paul was basically using a word that was almost like a swear word. <laughs> it wasn't used in polite company. It was scubula. All my trying to earn righteousness, anything and everything that's a crown in my cap on this earth is nothing but human feces, human excrement in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's refuse. The righteousness of the law of mine is inadequate. But righteousness of God through faith in Jesus is more than enough. It's more than adequate. That's the righteousness that we put on. It's not ours. It's not something we earn. It's something that he gives to us. He imputes in us in his death, in the, the, the atonement, the assurance, the justification, all of those words we've talked about. And he gives us our, his righteousness, his imputed righteousness on us. So Paul is saying to know Christ, to know the power of the resurrection, to share in his suffering, to die for him even. Those are the things that we find hope in. doesn't mean we go out and seek it. You know, there was a time in the church where they sought. I've, I've mentioned that before in the time of Diocletian, who was uh, persecuting the church in the 150s, 200 ADs, that they actually sought martyrdom, martyrdom. There were those that went out and sought it because they thought that that was the, the best thing that they could do and they would get the higher realms. They sought it for personal gain. And we aren't called to seek martyrdom. We aren't caused to seek to die for Christ, but to be willing to. Willing to suffer, to die primarily to self. And if so be it, we suffer persecution for it. There will come a day that the church will suffer persecution. We think we've suffered. We have not suffered in America. We, we think because they took Bibles out of school and there are limits. Church and government separation, don't get me going and all that, but we think we've suffered. <laughs> we, we haven't suffered. When I can put this out live on Facebook without the fear of the um, KGB or the China government, you know, police force showing up on my doorstep. Iraq and Iran and Muslim countries to be put to death if I were to share my faith with someone. We don't understand what it means to suffer. We don't understand what it means when you can be thrown into jail and just locked in a dark hole for years with no court, no system, no lawyer, to be beaten. We, we don't understand persecution. We don't. And maybe a topic for another time, but I don't think the American church is ready for it. I don't think the American church would withstand in it. I think we've gotten so used to our four walls that I'm meddling, okay? Um, 
but we're quick to gripe that we don't get to come together in our four wall church without finding ways that we get to come together as believers. Because it never stopped fellowship. Never stopped praying with one another. And yes, there is something about coming together. I'll be the first one to admit it, right? That coming together to be able to sing together, to praise together, to lift each other up in person does mean so much more than over Zoom. It does. And we can't forsake that. I'm not saying we shut down the church and go into little home churches, but there are ways that we can do that through home churches, through life groups, lifting one another up, encouraging one another, serving together, that we get still beat the church. And there may come a day and age when the church cannot meet in America because of persecution. And I pray every day that we will be ready for it. Because I don't know if I'm ready. Paul today, you could say in what he was speaking here, that he was reminding the church then, and now he's reminding us uh, of to beware of two kinds of religious experiences. And these are not experiences that prepare us for that type of persecution. And the first is that we find Christianity to be a better religion. See, the Judaizers felt that the Judaism was the best religion. It was the better religion. And, and he's telling us to be careful that we don't find Christianity to be a better religion. And, and what I mean by that, so listen to this, it's that we expect it to be attractive. See, the old church model was you build a church in the middle of the city, and whenever people had issues, they would be attracted to that church. People aren't attracted to church anymore. You don't just find people walking in off the streets because they hear the praise and the celebration and because they know they have a need for God. We live in a post-Christian society. We're going the way of Europe where 60% of people don't want to have anything to do with church. We're going the way where the church has a negative connotation because of everything that they've stood for that they hated. There are things that we stand for, don't get me wrong, okay? But we have been more known for the things that we are against versus the things that we are for, of love, looking out for the poor and the impoverished because the church didn't do it. And so now we have all of these secondary, you know, um, outside the church ministries that are having to feed the poor, love on people because the church didn't do it. The church became very inward instead of outward. So we expect the church to be attracted to anyone who wants to better themselves, better one's station. It's a health and prosperity gospel, better one's fortune because God will bless me, better my peace of mind and my prospects in the afterlife. It becomes nothing more than just fire insurance. It's, it's a seeking after a self-righteousness. Can I tell you the early church, it wasn't until the Roman church the Roman Orthodox Church, that began to become attractive to the rich. Prior to that, the church was known, the way was known for being a church of the poor, the church of the impoverished, the church of second-class citizens. It wasn't until the Roman Orthodox Church that it became the church of the first-class citizens. And now I think if we're not careful, that's all we become. We become a church of the upper middle class. If we're not careful, we, we forget the poor and the oppressed and the impoverished in our gospel. We become a church, a 
It's just a better religion. And it's not a better relationship and it's not a better lifestyle. It's just a better religion. It's a seeking after one's own self-righteousness instead of the righteousness of God. You know, the second thing I think Paul could say to the church today out of this, uh, Philippians chapter 3, is that a religion that views the past as totally negative, that, well, becoming a, you know, that, that we got to be careful of that because if we view our past, our, our sins and our background as totally negative, which, okay, they are, right? In light of Christ, everything we've done is refuge, okay? But if all we do is view it as totally negative, then we throw it out. And we become a Christian only to correct our wasted opportunities, our inner turmoil and social wreckage. We become a Christian just to fix all of that. And so now it becomes a, as some in society say, it's just a scapegoat for the weak. It's a scapegoat for the weak. So either we are seeking to better ourselves or we're seeking to get away from our, our impoverishedness, our impoverished spiritually, emotionally, physically, all of that. And so then that's why we come to Christ instead of bettering ourselves because of the righteousness of God that's on us that then makes us humble, humble, hungry, and smart, you know, humble, gentle, meek, bearing with one another. Instead, it makes us more self-righteous to where we don't bear with one another and we aren't very humble. And we aren't known for our gentleness for those. That we are known more for the standing up and saying, I don't care what you say. I'm not going to wear a mask. Well, again, if my wearing a mask tells me, tells others around me that, hey, I care for you, then I'll do it. Whether I like to or not. Whether I feel like I'm going to suffocate or not. And I just use that as a current example. Maybe we could say some of the holiness matters, right? For generations, generations, the holiness have been teetotalers. You know, we, we've been against drinking. Because we see what drinking and alcoholism does in our culture. But the Bible nowhere says that drinking is a sin. So where do we draw the line? Well, I draw the line because so often I see where drinking can lead to. And therefore, even when I wasn't a pastor and signed something that says in the Nazarene church, I will not drink. I am going to promote not drinking because I see what it does and I see how it can cause others to stumble. Because maybe you say, I know where to draw the line and I only have one drink or two drinks because I'm not drunk. Okay, good, good on you. But what if your children or somebody else sees you and they don't know where to draw the line and then it leads to them getting drunk all the time and getting being drawn into alcoholism? I don't want to be the person that causes that. So I will not drink. I won't allow anything to have a control over my, my being. That's me. Paul is not saying that we are standing in front of God with a subgrade. He's saying, quit trying to grade yourself. Your righteousness comes from Christ, and because you accept his righteousness, then you want to be different. You're changed inwardly to want to be different outwardly and corporately. Give it up to God. Paul again ends this passage with this, double resurrection approach. He looks at the resurrection, then the death, then the resurrection again, that that took the precedence. He's kind of speaking Easter, Good Friday Easter, 
because the resurrection is the power that we have, the power of the Holy Spirit over death. You know, in Jesus's death on the cross, his blood shed, he broke the power of sin. But in his resurrection, he broke the power of death. He broke the power, the natural laws of death over our lives. So he speaks this Easter, Good Friday, Easter, resurrection, death, resurrection. We need the resurrection in our life. That's key. So let me leave you with this. I, lo I love throwing in quotes because, you know, we are a eclectic church in a way. We need to remember our past. We aren't just a Nazarene church that was founded in the 1900s, right? We, we are a church that has a background and then John Wesley, you know, the, the Methodist Episcopal Church, and then in John Wesley and the Anglican Church, and the Anglican Church into the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church into the early church. And we need to remember that. And so there are things that we can pull from past preachers and past priests and different individuals and early church fathers. And so here is a quote from St. Augustine, because we need to remember these saints. We, they, you know, they, this is where we, our theology comes from. If it hadn't been for Augustine and, and John Christosom and so many others, we wouldn't have our theology. We would still be muddling around trying to figure out the Trinity. We owe a lot to them. We owe not just to John Wesley, but others before him and William Law and others who uh, were influential in John Wesley's approach. We need to remember them. We can learn from them. So St. Augustine had this to say, and I think it fits, and we'll close with this. He said, O Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the mind that you know, the joy of the hearts. I'm sorry, let me start again. O Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the minds that know you, the joy of the hearts that love you, the strength of the wills that serve you, Help us so to know you that we may truly love you. And so to love you that we may truly serve you for your name's sake. That should be one of our prayers. That we would so truly love Jesus Christ. To love God so much that we want to serve him. And when we want to serve him and we put others above ourselves, we want to live a life of not a hint. We want to live in a way that doesn't cause others to stumble. And we don't have an attitude of, well, they're going to hell in a handbasket and who cares? But we have an attitude that wants to get to heaven and wants to take as many people as possible with us. And we would, may, we would truly serve him for his name's sake, not for ours, not for our denomination or our four-wall church, but for God's name's sake, that we would be so drawn to the word of God that it is the air that we breathe, that Jesus is the air that we breathe, the Holy Spirit working in us would be the pep in our step every single day that we would know that if we went a day without digging into his word that we don't just do it for a checklist to to check it off and say hey i did my devotions today we do it because we want to know god more because every time i read through this word every single year and i read through there are new things that that 
pop out new things that come to me, new things that I'm going, oh God, thank you for revealing that into my life. So may we want to dig in. May this be, may we eat it, right? May we devour the word of God more than we devour our soaps or our TV shows, more than we devour the news and can't go without watching it one day over another. May we be so rooted in the Word of God that we see the temporary distractions of our world not as something to not care about, but as that we would see it in the light of God's Word. COVID, one day will go away and we will quit talking about it. Amen. Hallelujah. I pray that the racial inequalities would go away. Not that they would go away without being dealt with, but that we as a church would stand up and our society would change. Because we're so rooted in this that we seek unity. So Heavenly Father, I, I do pray that. I pray that the light of our minds would know you more, that our hearts would be overflowed with joy because we know you and love you and would our, our willpower and our ability to want to seek you out would be strengthened and we would want to serve you more, that we would truly learn to love you so that we may truly learn to love others and to serve you by serving those around us for your glory and your name. I do it all for you, God. May we be lights, may we be examples, and may we live with that model of not a hint. Because your name matters more than mine. Your reputation matters more than mine. Lord, use us to serve you every day. In the name of your son, Jesus, we ask it and we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, go in peace, everybody. I hope you have a good rest of the day.